copy of God's Word, and we will, we will pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this season. We thank you for the opportunity to, to come together and to sing your praise, to read your word, to consider what you have done for us in Christ. And, and Lord, we, um, th- th- there is some element of, of an inability uh, to understand everything that happened this season. Lord, I, I cannot comprehend how the eternal God becomes part of his own creation. But I can understand that your, your power is so great that you can do just that. I cannot comprehend the worth of, of Christ offered for us, not just in life, but also in death. But I can comprehend that his worth and his worthiness is such that you, you are able to save not just one person through his death, but as many as you would call to yourself. And that at the cross, there is an infinite supply of grace. I cannot comprehend how great your grace is to me as I, as I fail just to even understand the depth of my own depravity, let alone the grace that you offer to all people. But I can comprehend that, uh, that your grace is greater than all of my sin. And I can never out your grace. Lord, would you, um, as Paul warns the Romans, would you keep us from trying to out your grace? That we would live lives of holiness to you in response to all that Christ has done for us. And Lord, as we look to, uh, to your word today, would you open our eyes and give us understanding and insight into your word Lord, would you, would you let the gospel ring forth from us? Would we not be content to, uh, to hide in our homes or even in the church with the, the message of the gospel? But that we would understand the mission you have left us on is to take it out to the ends of the earth. Would you let the gospel ring forth from us this Christmas season? Lord, we pray for our missions partners, Sandy and Sue Nafziger, as they're in Germany and as they're... Um, seeking to do just that, even in this uh, unexpected assignment that, that took them there. Uh, Lord, as, they've, as Peter has begun, I mean, as Sandy has begun a study on First Peter, we pray that you would bring great fruit of that into the lives of your people. Lord, we pray for the 13 uh, airmen and, and others who have attended a recent meal and Bible study with them. Lord, we pray that you would give them gospel opportunities. And so we praise you for what you're doing in this Bible study and, and as they open up their home. Uh, Lord, would you, um, uh, would you uh, keep the uh, ever-growing um, restrictions there in Germany from impacting the ministry that they have, or maybe in ways that we can't even understand? Would you use those restrictions to further their ministry, to give them great opportunities uh, for the gospel. Lord, we pray for those there among them and with them who are already yours. We know the difficult uh, place that, um, that probably the military and, uh, and, and even just being away from home and from your church and various other things can be. Lord, those 
uh, among them who are yours already, would you protect them? Lord, would you help them to be clear with the gospel this Christmas season as well? Lord, above all else, we thank you for the gift of Christ and ask that he would be glorified in our time this morning. And Lord, would you show us as we look at John 17 why his glory is just the greatest thing we can behold and is so good for us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As most of you probably know, last week we finished up our series called Blueprint, looking at uh, God's design for his people, God's design for the church. But when you, when you have a blueprint, a blueprint is a plan to build something, and we know that Christ has told us that he will build his church. And so he, he put his plans in place from eternity past. In the book of Titus, Paul opens up that book with these words. He says, Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the full knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, and the hope of eternal life, which, the which referring back to eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised from all eternity. From all eternity, God promised a bride to his son. From all eternity, God had designed the church, had designed to redeem a people from sin for himself and for his glory. But when you have blueprints, you have plans to build a house. And then you build a house. And once that structure stands, it is still just a house. It's not a home until you move in. It's not a home until you live there. It's not a home until you experience the goodness of all that it was intended to be. And so as we consider the next three weeks, the next three Sundays, including today, what it means to be home at Christmas, I want us to see how God has called us to live into the fullness of the plans that he has designed for us. John 17, I believe, does just that. And it is Jesus' prayer the night before he died. In the garden, before he goes to the cross, he prays this prayer. And you might be asking yourself, what in the world does that have anything to do with Christmas? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus tells us the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This this baby, this Christ child, who was God from eternity past and became part of his own creation, is not just a neat story. It's not just a feel-good story about a baby and a mom. He came with a purpose. He came with a purpose to give us abundant life. And I believe That God's word teaches us that that abundant life that he has for us can never be experienced in its fullness apart from meaningful engagement in the church. If you don't like the church, you're never going to like heaven. I think Bob Goff said that recently. We were listening to a podcast of his. He said, if you don't like people, you're going to be really, really disappointed with heaven. The church is to be a picture of heaven. It's supposed to be a slice of eternity. It is an embassy. It is a little bit of homeland as we are away from our eternal 
home. We are not citizens in this world or of this country, first and foremost. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And the church is this this embassy, this little slice of, of heaven on earth. Not yet perfect, not yet complete, but a small picture of what it's supposed to be. And so this baby came with the goal, this Christ child came with the goal of not just being born, but of living the perfect life that you and I can't live. Romans and Galatians teach us clearly that God gave us this incredibly detailed law to increase our trespass, to increase our sin. That seems strange, but it's not just so that we would be sinners, but so that we would see that we already are sinners, so that we would see our need for a Savior who came and who perfectly obeyed that law. Every ounce of it, every detail lived perfectly and then went to the cross. To die a death he didn't deserve to die. In our place. Standing condemned not just before men, but primarily before God in our place. To pay the penalty of of our sin, though he didn't deserve it. And then to be resurrected to newness of life, to, to new and eternal life, so that we might be resurrected to newness of life. So that we might gain what he deserved. He was treated as though he was guilty, so we might be treated as though we are righteous. We are no more righteous than he was guilty. But he bore the consequences of our guilt. That is the purpose for which he came. Do not forget this Christmas season that the goal of Christmas is Easter. It always looks to Easter. It always looks to the cross. He came with a purpose, and the purpose for which he came is our abundant life. And here, the night before he dies, he prays. He prays this high priestly prayer. What does it mean that it's his high priestly prayer? I just got to tell you, if I knew tomorrow I was going to die and bear the wrath of God for sin upon myself in your place, which I cannot do because I'm a sinner too. But if I were in that place, I would be praying for myself. And he does not. He prays for us. He prays for you and for me. He, he, on first glance, he might, it might seem as though he is praying only for his disciples, but he's not. In verse 3 of John chapter 17, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you. The the tense here in Greek points to a future reality, a request, not just that his disciples would know you, but us. We're told later in, in, um, in the chapter, verse 20, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. I'm not just asking for my disciples. This isn't a prayer just for these 11. This is a prayer for everyone who through their word will believe in him. So over the next three weeks, I want to look at this this life, this abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And we're going to use a, a little bit of the analogy of a home to do so. Let me ask the question, what is the purpose of your home? For what purpose does your home exist? 
For what reason does your family exist? What what does your family live for? I don't mean what do you say you live for. I mean, what's the first thought or, or maybe inclination in your children's head and heart when, when they are asked, what, what does your family live for? Some of you live for your kids. Some of you live for your kids' sports. Some of you live for your next opportunity for recreation. Some of you live for work. God wants us to live for his glory. And I want to explain this morning from Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 why that is trading up. Why it is the greatest thing you can live for. Why letting go of whatever earthly thing you cling to, you live for, you're looking to next to bring you satisfaction. Why living not for your own glory or your own satisfaction is trading up and results in the greatest thing possible. It sounds cliche a little bit, especially if you've grown up in the church. I live for God's glory. Let me show you why it's not. In the Old Testament, we could look at plenty of verses, but we will not. In the Old Testament, Jesus is called Emmanuel. He is called God with us. And here in this chapter, we see that even that is part of God's Jesus' prayer, verse 24a, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. Pause for a moment and think on that. Jesus, eternally God, the second member of the Trinity, about to go to the cross, And bear the wrath of his father for your sin. About to take your punishment. And his prayer is, Father, I desire that they might be with me. I desire that they might be with me. There's a popular song, a line of which I hate, that says, Father, you didn't want heaven without us. I don't love that line because it's not like God was in, in, in heaven for eternity pining away after us. Oh, I'm so lonely, I just need to make some people. No, we, 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 have, we must remember that he has existed eternally in, in a trinity, a, a unity of three, a tri-unity of persons where there is love and affection, and leadership, and submission, and delight, and joy, and relationship. Everything that God needs is bound up in him. He created us out of his own goodness. He delights in us out of his own goodness. And he desires to be with us, not because he he needs us, but because he simply delights to invite us to experience him and his goodness, to see him. And that's what Jesus is praying here. Father, I I want them to be with me. Uh, He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. What we celebrate at Advent is the appearing, the, the coming of Jesus in the flesh to be with us. 
But the question is, why does he want us to be with us? Look with me at the rest of verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, now this is a strange request. It's a request for, for a long time that didn't make sense to me. I shared this passage recently with, uh, with the youth because it's had such an impact on my life. But imagine you're going through something. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's joyful. Maybe somebody else is going through something. Whatever it is, you, you, there's, there's something going on in your life and you want prayer. You come down to the church office during the week, and you come into my office and you say, oh, pastor, would you please pray for me? This, this thing is going on. It's a, whatever it is, it feels like it's the night before God's judgment is about to come down. And you say, would you please pray for me? And I say, absolutely, I would love to pray for you. Lord, I come before you today to pray for this situation that's going on and all this turmoil and trouble and whatever's going on in our lives today that has us weighed down. Lord, would you please, in response to this situation, glorify me? Would you make me look great? Would you expand everyone's view of who I am and what I look like and, and, and make me look great before all people? In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are coming to back to me to ask me to pray for you again? Probably nobody. You're leaving angry. I asked him to pray for this situation, and he's praying for his own glory? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And Jesus is clear in this prayer that he's not asking that for himself. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. What in the world, Jesus? You're praying for me, and you're praying for your glory. What's going on here? Let me ask you this question. What can he pray for that's better for us, for you and for me, that's better than this? If he prays for wealth, then wealth is greater than God. If he prays for health, then health is greater than God. If he prays for life in this earth, then life in this earth is better than life in the next. If he prays for happiness in anything else, that thing must be greater than God. What, by very definition of what it means to be God, God is the greatest thing that exists. He cannot be improved upon. Therefore, he is unchanging. He's holy and, and he's unchanging. Therefore, he can't sin and be, can't become worse. He can't become better because that would mean there would be improvement and he couldn't be God. He can't become worse because then he wouldn't be holy. He is, by definition, the greatest thing that exists. And so if he prays for anything else, he prays for something less for you and me. What he's praying here as he prays for our joy and for us 
that we would see and experience his glory. Uh, Verse 5, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory with which I had with you before the world was. Here he has existed for 33 years, subject to humanity, subject to part of his creation. The eternal, glorious God who in John 1.1 created everything, who here existed before anything was created with the glory that only God can have. It is this God who, who comes to earth and subjects himself to experience as a human. Not just as a human, but to become an actual human. And he doesn't experience this life uh, like pre-fall Adam and Eve. He experiences, his lo- this, experiences this life, though never having sinned, subject to the consequences of sin. He experiences humanity just like you and me. So that as Hebrews tells us, he can be our great high priest who can sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses, yet without sin. And now it's coming to the end. And he says, Father, I'm coming home. I'm coming to where I belong. And and I'm going to be back in the glory that I had before the world created. In, In Hebrew, the word glory means weight. In Greek, it means light. There's this There's this weightiness, this this gravity, this glorious heaviness to who he is. And there's this incredibly bright light in his holiness, this glorious light to who he is. And he says, and I'm coming back for it. And Lord, when I get there, May these people who I'm about to redeem, who you've given me, and everybody you will give me from now until my return, who who come to faith in you through their word, would you let them see my glory? Would you let them see and experience the most beautiful thing that exists? If you love the beach, you don't fill up your bathtub and put out a beach chair. If you love the mountains, you don't dump a truckload of dirt in your backyard and set up a tent. If you love the stars, you don't put glow-in-the-dark stars on your ceiling and set up a little telescope. If you love the beach, you get to the beach and you stand on its shores and you feel small. If you love the mountains, you get before big, towering mountains and feel tiny and helpless. If you love the stars, you get out out a telescope or go to an observatory and you see glorious, big, huge, wonderful things and you feel small. And when we feel small, there's something in us that feels right. And all of it is pointing to the fact that God is saying, look up. Look past what's in this life. Look past the small things. Look past your own glory. Look past your own circumstances and see my glory. Feel small in my presence and my power and my wonder and my amazement. And let your hearts be satisfied there. Jesus is praying for his glory and for us to experience his glory so that we might trade up the small things in life that we live for and trade up for big things, glorious things, eternal things, weighty things, beautiful things. 
What purpose do you live for? When Jesus prays that we would exist for his glory, when he says your life and your family and your children and your church, it all exists for my glory. It's not because he's a greedy, miserly God who wants to minimize your joy and maximize his. It's because he's a giving God who comes to earth as a baby, who dies in our place to redeem us from our sin, to invite us in to see his glory, not to minimize our joy, but to maximize it. If you're teaching your children that, they, that you live for their sports or their happiness or Netflix or work, you're asking them to find their satisfaction in small things. If you're finding your significance in those things, you're, you're finding your significance in small things. This baby came that we might have life and have it to the full, abundant life, life lived with his glory in view. The glory of Christmas is not presents, it's not decorations, it's not family. Those are all good gifts from a good God. The glory of Christmas is the Christ of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, who wants us to see him not just in his humanity, dying in our place, but he wants us, us to see him in his glory, finding our souls satisfied before him. May you and your family and this church, this Christmas season, glory in the Christ of Christmas, because he came to maximize our joy in him. Father, let us not be content with small things. Let us not be content with lesser glories. Lord, you have given many things in this life and in this world to be enjoyed. Family, holidays, the church, mountains, oceans, stars, sports, recreation, all of it are good gifts from you, and none of them can satisfy our souls. Lord, may we be reminded this Christmas season that, that, that Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, not just to set an example for us, though he did that, not just to make us feel good about ourselves, though in many ways he did that, but to redeem us from our sin from ourselves, from the punishment, from your punishment that was due us, to redeem us from all of that and to invite us to see you and him in the fullness of your glory and to find our hearts and our lives and our souls and our families ultimately satisfied in you. Lord, keep our eyes fixed firmly on you. And may we find our deepest joy in your greatest glory, for our good, for the spread of the gospel, and for your glory, which are never in conflict, Lord. Your glory is never in conflict with our good. Your glory is never in conflict with our joy. Your glory seeks our greatest joy. 
Lord, let us trade up not only from good gifts, but let us trade up from the sin that so easily entangles us and see that sin can only remove us from seeing your glory. And may we fight that sin that we might maximize our joy in you. Father, would you, would you do that in, in our youth and in our children? Would you make us a church that calls them to look up, to see your glory, to look past the circumstances of their lives that may be difficult, but to look to eternity, to look to glory, to look to find their souls satisfied in you. May our homes and this church be nurseries for heaven. Where, where generations of believers are raised up to love you and to delight themselves in you for their good and for your glory. And we ask it all this Christmas season in Jesus' name.